Okay. Welcome back to Chapo, everybody. We're coming to you on Wednesday, January 17th, slightly, uh, slightly ahead of time. But we are joined today by two journalists from Hellgate NYC, Christopher Robbins and Katie Way, to talk about a figure that's become something, has become sort of a, a fixture of the Chapo lore. He is sort of a, a messianic political figure who I would describe as swag on loan from God. I'm referring, of course, to one of my favorite figures on the American political scene, my own mayor, Eric Adams of New York City. Chris and Katie, you are from Hellgate NYC, which is a great, great local news outlet and bridge. But uh, the reason we invited you on the show is because you put, you put out a, just basically a compendium of everybody who has ever sat down at Eric Adams' table of success. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chris and Katie, I want to begin with a quote from Eric Adams that's featured in uh, the Table of Success uh, sort of dossier that you guys have compiled. Uh, It's a quote from him that I think sums up the entire mentality of Eric Adams and his administration. He said of himself, quote, God said, I'm going to take the most broken person and I'm going to elevate him to the place of being mayor of the most powerful city on the globe. How like how how does this this sum up like Eric Adams like self image and his and not just that but like how his response is to like criticisms regarding various corruption scandals surrounding his administration? Mm. So this is you know Adams as the sort of uh, mess as I think you put it earlier he's like a sort of messianic figure he positions himself as being a victim to like many slights um, and lots of unfair criticism lots of doubters which is where the the phrase let your haters become your waiters at the table of success comes from. And, you know, he sort of positions himself as living proof that these people are wrong, that he's supposed to be here. Um, But I mean, he's been a fixture in New York city for a very long time. Um, He he started out as an NYPD officer, transit cop. Um, He started a group called uh, 100 blacks in law enforcement who care he was like mixing it up as, as an activist, criticizing the police department. He sort of parlayed that into a seat in the state legislature for a while. Then he ran for Brooklyn Borough president, did that for several years. And then in 2021, he ran for mayor and, and won. Yeah, and something uh, Eric Adams likes to say both about himself and you know a lot of the people we're going to talk about today is that he is... Uh, perfectly imperfect. And that's kind of his catch-all term for like anything from being convicted of financial crimes to just like not being that good at your job. That's like, that's his whole thing is that he's, he's a diamond in the rough who surrounds himself with diamonds in the rough, you know, to uh, sort of complete the flashy necklace of success uh, around the neck of New York City. (laughs) I mean, like another recent example is uh, recently our mayor was asked about, um, anger towards his administration um, in light of the recent budget cuts that have closed libraries on the weekend. And they, they, they asked him, like, how do you respond to that criticism? And he says, I don't because people have been coming up to me to thank me for cutting the budget. So like, uh, he, he is a guy who, who, who finds himself sort of beyond reproach. And also that like, it's just the idea of the hater is very, I mean, Chris, you described it as like doubters or critics, but like in the Adams administration and many people at the table of success, what marks you as sitting at the table or waiting on the table is whether you are a hater or not. Yeah. And, and also just like who is willing, I, I think, you know, looking at the, the table of success, which is, um, as you mentioned, like an interactive sort of feature with around 50 people in Adams's orbit, you know, the one thing that they tend to share is a unflinching loyalty to Eric Adams and like his brand and what he stands for. And yeah, I mean, anyone who doesn't have that so, sort of same loyalty is not at the table of success and is worthy of your sort of skepticism and distrust. And, you know, it's almost like you don't, because you're skeptical of Eric Adams, you somehow don't want New York City to succeed or whatever. And he sort of bakes that into um, blunting criticisms of his administration as well. You know, you mentioned that he's been a fixture in New York City politics for a long time. But like, despite being a lifelong resident, Eric Adams really exploded onto my consciousness when he ran for mayor. And the first time I ever really took notice of him was with the release of an old video he made uh, demonstrating how to inspect your child's bedroom for things like pistols, cocaine, knives, bullets. 
and you know, like uh, demonstrating how, uh, as he described it, various popular knapsacks could be used to secrete drugs. How does his experience? Because like he and he's leaning heavily on his experience as a cop. How would you say like his experience as a police officer like shape his policies and like his view of himself and, and his administration? Well, I think he's, you know, Eric Adams has said kind of time and again that public safety is a, you know, huge priority for him. And even though when he was actually, you know, a member of the NYPD, he sort of made his bones being, you know, iconoclastic and speaking up against, you know, things like stop and frisk. But now that he's sort of at the seat of power, uh, you kind of find him taking it back to the traditional cop values of uh, looking in your kid's stuff and being really scared. Yeah, I mean, he's the. This is the guy who, who took out an ad um, for a billboard that <laughs> showed two people with sagging pants. You know, like remember the sagging pants epidemic. Oh, I mean, of- his his crusade against sagging your pants is a big, big part of his uh, backstory and the and his, his <laughs> book that he wrote, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know, he's playing to his his audience of. Um, older middle class you know brooklynites who see something like people sagging their pants and connect that to like the end of civilization and like you know i think yeah like as katie said like as a cop you know he sort of sees it as his job to to point these things out but you know now now that person is the mayor and he still has a lot of that like baked into his his policy decisions and the things that he chooses to prioritize yeah, and I think a, a good example of that, Chris, is the reporting you've done on um, all of the times he said that kids in public schools are smoking uh, fentanyl-laced marijuana, which, like, you've had multiple experts say, like, that's literally... <laughs> that, was, that's, yeah. that is, like, the least profitable drug operation of all time. <laughs> like, I guess that's, like, if Willy Wonka sold weed. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, he's, like... He's like if a dare commercial became mayor of a major American city because like he, his view of, um, I don't know, the streets and crime, it seems to be that like it, it's everywhere all the time and we constantly need to be on lookout for it. And I, I guess like that's a good way of segueing into um, this book he wrote, which has recently come to light in New York City. Uh, could you, you describe, have you been following the Don't Let It Happen saga and how this has become something of a... I don't know, something that's dogging this, this administration. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because, you know, this book came out in 2009, I believe. <laughs> so it's been around for, for so long. Um, it was self-published. It is basically the sort of textual version of that video you described earlier yeah. of him searching um, a kid's bedroom for contraband. Something and- as simple as a crack pipe. Something simple as a crack pipe, a used crack pipe. Could he have found it on the street? That's quite possible. But this is a, a discussion piece where you should start speaking with him to find out what is he doing with it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, the cover of the photo is worth describing. Oh, the, the, oh my God. The cover, the cover of this book, Don't Let It Happen, <laughs> is an open lunchbox. And within the lunchbox is a banana, a revolver, and what looks to be like an ounce of cocaine. It's, yeah, it's a powerful cover. Um, it's an arresting <laughs> cover. But but yeah, this is a self-published book from, from 2009. We wrote about it a little bit because his partner, his longtime partner, Tracy Collins, wrote the foreword to the book. Um, but, you know, reporters have started like pulling out snippets of the book, which is uniformly pretty, pretty eye opening. Like there's a whole taxonomy of drugs. It's like the meme. It's like the ice tea meme from Law and Order where yeah, it's like kids today are calling it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Real sick stuff. Yeah, no. Yeah, like yeah. super jinkum, that, and you're like, yeah. okay, and, and and it's like this. This isn't real. But but the thing that that we sort of seized on was the AP, um, an AP reporter uh, last week asked the mayor point blank about one of these anecdotes in which Adams described in the book that he was given a handgun by a friend of his in school, pointed the handgun at like a group of his friends and pulled the trigger, not knowing if it was real or not. And the gun went off. And like that was the cautionary tale about why kids shouldn't be trusted around firearms. Not that you would even really need to make that point. Don't give a grade schooler a loaded handgun. Was there like was there like a faction on city council that was like, 
Let's just see what happens. <laughs> right. Don't let it let's happen. Just, no, like, yes. hey, let's hand let's hand them out. See what happens. Maybe it's good. Completely unnecessary anecdote. And and you know the mayor answered the question. He was like, no, that never happened. And then when the when the reporter pressed him and said, no, this is in your book. The administration denied even publishing the book. Said it was a ghostwriter. Um, there's a lot of strange things happening there. So yeah, that's, that's the don't let it happen saga well, that was in the news recently. There, there's some, there's, I mean, I mean, forget, forget the anecdote about uh, firing a gun at school. There's also a lot of great helpful uh, tips and tricks con- concluded in this book, but like the, the, the anecdote about bringing or being given a gun and firing at school is like, you know, you, you think you would have heard about that story. If the guy who did that became mayor eventually, like who did a school shooting years ago. And also, like, you know, what, what happened with that? Was he expelled? But, like, whether it's the anecdotes about, whether it's the, the embellished stories about kids smoking fentanyl-laced weed or whatever, he, he really feels a need to, like, include himself to embellish the authenticity of these anecdotes that are obviously untrue. And then, like, I mean, this is a repeated pattern in his administration. Is, is it not, Katie? Is there, are there any other examples of this you can think of? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think my uh, favorite is when... Um, he said that he carried that photo of that uh, cop that he'd served with, who I think died in the line of duty. And he was like, this is in my wallet every day. And then it came out that he made his staffers yeah, uh, artificially make it, make it look old, yeah. like you're doing like a map for a school project. Like they had to pour coffee on it or whatever. That's like, that's number one to me. That's awesome. Like, I, I just think that's amazing. Well, like there, there are so many examples of of, of, of of like this from Eric Adams, and like I find him such a uniquely fascinating character because to me, he is not like identical in terms of his politics, but he is identical as a political figure to me. The only man I can, I can compare him to is Donald Trump, and by that I mean he is a truly only in New York kind of story, like a truly only in New York City could produce someone like this, and I regard him as a horrible mayor, but I find him <laughs> so uniquely fascinating and funny. That like I can't help but um, I don't know admire him in some strange way. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's also worth noting that that 2020 primary election that Adams won was the very first use of ranked choice voting in New York City. So you had a, a large field of Democratic candidates running um, for that primary. The turnout was like not great, which which it, it usually isn't um, in, in New York City. But like you know, Adams won. Uh, he beat the next closest opponent of his, Catherine Garcia, by not that many votes. I want to say it was around 7,000 votes. Someone should fact check me there. But like, you know, this is to to your point, like this is someone who, yes, you know, he was he was a known political entity, but he wasn't known really to many New Yorkers and and obviously the world. Someone who won by like a relatively small margin and is now like in charge of eight and a half million people has one of the most prominent jobs in American politics and is just a is a genuinely interesting sort of strange kind of guy. And and now that he's mayor, we see that every day. It's not like when he was borough president, which is basically like a cheerleader for the the boroughs. Every borough has one, you know, like he would do wacky stuff, like come up with like, um, rat traps that are filled with water that he would like drown a bunch of rats and invite reporters over there. <laughs> what, what, the, rat- the smart canes. Don't forget about the okay, smart I, canes. I want to for- get to the smart canes. The smart canes <laughs> okay. are incredible. When I, when I read that, I was like, a smart yeah. cane. Is that what I think it is? And the answer is yes, it is exactly. It's oh, yeah. Exactly. What, it's like, yeah, I come up with that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just want to return a little bit quickly to the, to his book. Uh, Don't let it happen. And, and a review of it. Uh, it is a, uh, uh, it's it's not a very long book. It is about the length of like uh, the menu at a Greek diner, and it is padded out with a lot of bullet points to like increase the page length. And it's sort of like it's filled with stats. Uh, and just an example uh, that uh, one of these stats is shared in the book is uh, this is from um, byline byline dot com. Uh, there there's summary of the book. Uh, I'm quoting here: Most chapters begin with some nice roomy bullet point factoids, such as. Over a million people reported using inhalants to get high in the year 2000. In Pittsburgh, 12% of students are absent each day. So he has a very like uh, apocalyptic view, particularly of youth culture. And like that, that comes across in, in like in the advice section. Here's a handy bit of advice. 
Malt liquor is considered the bad boy of the beer family. You can visit any store in the inner city and see freezers filled with various bottles of it. A 12-ounce can of malt liquor is twice as potent as the same quantity of beer. So, like, that's helpful advice, you know? If you're looking for beer that's, that's better than regular <laughs> beer, try malt liquor. But, like, you know, as a cop who came up in the sort of, uh, the, like, classic broken windows time in New York City in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, when, when crime is really high, when there was tons of sensationalistic coverage all the time, it's like, you know, that is what he sort of freezes on, is that moment in time, those, like, weird PSAs. It's kind of like, you know, how like the music you listen to at a certain age is kind of like what you listen to the rest of your life. Only like this is what like this is his shtick. And like, yeah, it's, it's not going to change, really. Um, and we're all sort of wired like this. But he's the mayor. <laughs> yeah, um, this guy's, he's all about playing the hits, I would yes, say. Right. And Katie, like he happens to be mayor at a time when like crime is historically low in New York City. But like, I mean, his his attitude about like, you know, kids you know, like that, like every time you leave your house is just like you're entering this like madhouse, this, 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 this cauldron of drugs and violence. Um, just a, a few more of the bullet points from the uh, Eric Adams book. There are the first of many signs that your loved one may be in a gang is letting everyone know that they are in a gang. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong there. Yeah, that's uh, what I would do. You know, if, if your car breaks down, Adams advises you to use a cell phone to call for help. If you don't have a phone, he adds, shame on you. They save lives. And then finally, <laughs> a bit of, a bit of uh, gun safety here from him. He provides a breakdown of the individual parts of a gun. For example, the trigger. <laughs> this controls the firing of the gun. It is normally located on the bottom of the gun in what I call the belly area. <laughs> and I didn't know that before I read this. So that was actually helpful to me. The gun's tummy. One, one last anecdote from the book. Quote, I was attending a conference in New York when a seminar participant sought me out to tell me that each morning her son would bring his own plastic bag of sweet and low to the breakfast table and she would watch him sprinkle it on his cereal. She sent a sample of the sugar to the New York City Police Department for analysis. The department reported back that her the substance was not sugar, but PCP. Users of PCP are known to sprinkle it on their food. Yeah, so this is <laughs> this is what he's fighting as mayor is like, you know, uh, angel dust bike breakfast cereal. The kids are getting wet. And, uh, you know, Adams, Adams is the umbrella. But, but Katie, like I, I mentioned that the context is that like he, he's becoming mayor, like, you know, in, in, a, in a New York City that's very different in terms of street crime than it was in like the 80s or early 90s. And he comes from the NYPD. But like, how would you characterize his current relationship with what is like, I think, probably one of the most important blocks of power in New York City politics, the, the police department? Yeah, I mean, I think Adams has done a good job sort of staffing the upper ranks of the police department with people who are sort of down to comply. Like one of the people that we wrote about um, in the table is his uh, the second police commissioner during his mayoral term, uh, Edward Caban, who notably replaced uh, the first ever female police commissioner. And that was like a big, you know, historic appointment for him. It's like, a, I think... Eric Adams uh, loves a diversity win and loves, you know, to be historic. Um, and so then you get someone who would go up against, you know, longtime Adams allies. Because I think one thing that I, you know, found a lot when working on this is like, this guy has a lot of friends. Eric Adams uh, must be a really good friend because he has found people and kept people in his life throughout the course of his career. And a lot of those people are, you know, high up in the NYPD right now. So I think that's sort of been his management system like over and over again we were seeing names like Jeffrey Madry, Kaz Daughtry, you know, um just people who've known the mayor for a really long time. Yeah, I mean and and I think, you know, that relationship it's it's it, there's an interesting duality to it because on one hand, he is a cop, he's not slashing the NYPD's budget. He's in fact, I think recently allocating a little bit more money to the NYPD. You know, he's got their support in that material way, but at the same time, you know, like He's someone who has has displayed a profound distrust for the NYPD because of his previous activism, because NYPD leadership did not trust him back in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And so that's why you see him installing people loyal to him in the top echelons of the police department. And that's also why you saw his brother, Bernard, you know, he tried to hire his brother, Bernard, to be his like top sort of bodyguard. I think in large part because he didn't trust yeah. the NYPD to take care of him. So he was like, yo, that's a job for my brother. Can we pay him, 
you know, $250,000. And the city was like, absolutely not. But I mean, that's, but you that's, understand the instinct, right? Cause like, yes. I mean, like, you know, Eric Adams seems like a guy whose head is very much in the clouds, but I don't think one thing you can accuse him of is someone who's not aware of how power works in New York City. I think that's right. Yeah. And like, and the thing is, like, to compare his relationship with the NYPD to the previous mayor, de Blasio, like the NYPD were basically in like a state of like passive open rebellion against de Blasio. Mm -hmm. And like they wanted him out. And like, but Eric Adams, as I think you quite rightly point out, even though he comes from them, like they don't trust him and he's not one of them because of his prior activism and that like, you know, but I think he's very, as you pointed out, has been very uh, cagey about who he puts in charge of the NYPD or like who, how he manages that. Because I think he knows that he needs to like get, get his people in there or else they're going to, you know, um, basically assert their own agenda all the time. So like that, that's the only way he's kind of like compared to previous mayors, but I want to get into sort of the features of like the, the latest allegations of corruption that surround him. And I guess I want to begin by thinking like, the, you know, it's an old story where, like, the mayor of New York City, it kind of doesn't really matter who they are or what they believe. They just sort of exist in one way or the other to serve the real estate lobby. So a certain amount of corruption is baked into all New York City mayors and their administrations. But, like, how would you rate the kind of corruption that we've seen making headlines regarding the Adams administration as compared to previous New York City mayors? Hmm. I mean, I think in, in this sort of modern era, you had... Bill de Blasio was under investigation for campaign shenanigans that were kind of arcane. Um, nothing really came out of it, but like no one close to him was indicted. But, you know, Eric Adams, you know, his Department of Buildings commissioner was indicted for doing sloppy corruption schemes, allegedly. And again, you know, that is pretty unprecedented um, in the like the past. 20 or 30 years like that doesn't really happen. I mean, I think during the Koch era, you had lots of corruption scandals. You had commissioners going down for a variety of, of reasons. Um, and, and I'm thinking now of like the, the end of the, the Koch era. But like, yeah, like in, in terms of the past, you know, Bloomberg, de Blasio, Adams, this is, um, you know, that in and of itself is pretty unprecedented. And then having, you know, pro federal prosecutors um, or federal investigators rather, took the mayor's phones, seized the mayor's phones. I think that was seen rightly as like a huge like move by prosecutors that they had something or they believed that they had something very serious to, to sort of investigate. And again, that like, they, you know, the feds were not taking Mike Bloomberg's phones. Um, <laughs> we, can, we can criticize Bloomberg and talk about him, but like that is something that did not happen. And, and yeah, I mean, that's how I would... It's you know, and we're two years in, right? Like we're two years into Adams's first term, so there's still lots of time for things to unfold. So, uh, and Katie, but like, would you say that like he is in, like, how much danger would you say he's in from the investigation into his ties to like Turkish construction firms? I I don't know that I can answer that necessarily. I don't know enough about uh how much danger the average relationship with a Turkish construction firm poses. But I mean, again, like Chris said, you know, they're taking the iPads, they're taking his phone. Um, they're actively talking to a lot of people close to him that he either installed because they're close to him. So yeah, I don't know, Chris, you might be able to answer it, that one better than I can. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also worth noting that like what we know about, you know, you mentioned like um, Turkish straw donors, like what we know about all of this basically boils down to what, federal law enforcement sources have fed the New York Times. It could be about something completely different. It could be about something related. Um, we just don't really know. And I think, yeah, like if, if the federal prosecutor in the Southern District um, didn't have something like serious on Adams, I think he's made a really serious strategic blunder here. Because again, like taking the mayor of New York City's phones in a federal investigation very big deal, makes the mayor look very bad, harms him personally, politically, just not a good look. And, you know, so and obviously, like, we don't know uh, what's going to happen with that. But, yeah, I think that's a pretty big chess move to make if you yeah. don't, you know, if you if you're bluffing or if you don't have something serious. Oh, get your New York Times. Bilmece New York'ta 
O gece New York'ta başkalaştım. All right. Well, let's get into the uh, the first the first member uh, sitting at the table here, and this is a gentleman speaking of phones and laptops who the mayor reportedly told to quote watch your phones. I'm speaking, of course, about Eric Ulrich. Katie, could you give us some background on who Eric Ulrich is? Yeah. So, um, like Chris said, he was uh, the mayor's commissioner of buildings. And uh, I mean, we were thinking about adding, honestly, because there are enough people on this table, a little sticker for uh, currently under indictment. Um, and so if I uh, recall correctly, he's wrapped up with the tow truck guys. Is, is that what it is? Yeah. I didn't do this one. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's 50 people. It's a big, it's a big ass table. Um, but yeah, he got Mets tickets, right? He, he just various like kind of petty, petty bribery stuff, basically. Yeah, yeah. He got he got more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in stuff, allegedly, and that includes like a nice apartment in the Rockaways and Mets tickets. They weren't season tickets, I don't think. They they weren't like that nice, you know. Um, and in exchange, like these, this group of people allegedly asked favors of Eric Ulrich. Um, and, you know, including in one instance, like uh, stopping or, or including like trying to crack down on a shelter that was across the street from one of these guys apartment buildings that he owned, like like a homeless shelter. Like he was he was upset that people were coming and going and making all this noise and causing trouble. And so he was like, do something about this, allegedly. Um, and so, you know, er- allegedly Eric Ulrich did. So uh, I think it like. Last spring, um, when they were at an unrelated event, the mayor reportedly approached his buildings commissioner and said, you know, watch your phones. And I think people rightly interpret that to mean like, sir, you are under federal investigation and you should be careful about what you do. He's like, um, the, uh, the, uh, he's like the Kansas City underboss in casino complaining to his mom on the FBI wiretap gets everything about the Tangiers Hotel and Casino. Yes, but, uh, yes. And, well, I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't stop there. Speaking of casino, because another associate of Eric Ulrich, and I'm going to quote now directly from The Table of Success, quote, he wrote letters vouching for a Bonanno family-associated loan shark for the, and, for, and for Gambito soldier, old man Willie Pazenzia who was found guilty of trafficking Eastern European women into New York City strip clubs. Quote, I have known the defendant for the past seven years, Ulrich wrote of Pienza in 2011, and consider him a personal friend. Yeah. And I think we also have, uh, we're, we're forgetting another important aspect of his identity, which is a children's book author. Children's book author, yes. I was just bo- if, you're, to that. if you're wondering what it would be like if pets could vote, uh, yeah. boy, does, boy does Eric have a book for you. <laughs> yeah, so um, the... The, the mob, the mob, the mob associated building, building commissioner of New York City also wrote a children's book titled If Pets Could Vote. How, Which, how would they vote? How would they vote? Democrat, Republican? Well, you know, pets like being taken care of. So they like the nanny state. So I think they're Democrats. <laughs> yeah. It, he also, it, you know, this is the guy who racked up um, gambling debts, like a significant amount. Uh, so, it, again, to your, to your reference, like him writing a letter of recommendation. Um, to someone who's mob connected like it's it's really kind of a lot of these people are like central casting still um and it's yeah endlessly fascinating next up at the table of success is a woman named ingrid lewis martin who is something of an enforcer for the adams administration so like uh chris or katie uh where does she come from and like what is her relationship to the adams administration this was this was another one of mine um you know, Ingrid and, and Eric Adams have known each other for almost 40 years. Uh, Ingrid's husband was a cop with Eric Adams. Um, and she's basically been with Eric every single step of the way. So when he was a state senator, she worked for him then. She was the deputy Brooklyn borough president. And now at City Hall, she has a title that she made up uh, herself called chief advisor. And basically, um, you know, according to the people who work in city hall and civil servants, like she is the final word. Like she is the hand of the king. Um, anything Ingrid wants, Ingrid gets. And generally, this is translated into like killing street safety projects <laughs> uh, across the city, including like bus lanes, bike lanes, safety redesigns. Like anything that pisses off, you know, people who have to move their cars once or twice a week. <laughs> 
Ingrid is there to sort of um, put the kibosh on uh, what the DOT is trying to do. So that is like what she is kind of known for now. But, you know, she's also like, <laughs> she's also, she also prompted the mayor when he said some of his more um, alarming things about separation of church and state. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because like she really seems to be a mouthpiece for, as I said, the kind of messianic vision of the Adams administration. And keep in mind, like this is someone speaking for the mayor of New York City. And she said, quote, we know in government many times it is said that one has to separate church from state. But we have an administration that doesn't believe that. We have a mayor you will hear from shortly who is definitely one of the chosen. So that's what I mean, like the mayor of New York City describing City politics in such a directly like Christian and God infused language is very odd. For I mean, you wouldn't think that that would happen, but like, yeah, where does like where does this religious calling come from? I mean, you know, a huge part of the mayor's base are black middle class folks in Brooklyn, um, church going people. Like, you know, when Adam says things like that, or when his staff says says things like that, that is who he's talking to. And that message is like pretty well received. Um, and, you know, Adams, again, like he sort of ties this into this idea that like, you know, he is a put upon figure. He's going to be criticized in the press. Like, you know, all of that is just noise. He is going to continue to do his job, which has been like anointed by God himself. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> And yeah, I mean, and, and like, that's, it's like that's if, uh, it's like a Pontius Pilate converted to Christianity and then started talking about all the haters at the temple. Like that's kind of, kind of how I conceive of the Adams administration. But there's another anecdote. There's a great anecdote about Ingrid Lewis Martin. Uh, uh, could you describe like this as a way of like her flexing her power? Could one of you describe the dentist appointment Zoom call that she managed to pull off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, if you want to take this one, that's totally fine. No, hey, I, take it away. Basically, uh, big meeting, big Zoom call. There's uh, there's senators on there. There's lots of high ups. Uh, and as as one does, Ingrid has her screen off for a while. You know, she's sort of delaying the start of the meeting. Uh, she, you know, cuts the camera on and she is fully in the dentist chair as they are working on her teeth. Um she says, uh, sorry, I'm at the dentist's office, which is, you know, nice, nice and polite <laughs> of her to say. Um, but then from there, she's basically like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going to table this. We're going to get back to it later and ends the call for everyone. Like ultimate I mean, I, power move. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's baller, like, to be honest. Like, they're, yeah, they're scraping plaque off your gums and you're just like, hold on one second. I got to I got to got to zoom into this call real quick. Like, you know, like they got the suction thing in the corner of your mouth. It's being picked up on your microphone. Yeah, that is. In the post-COVID, like post-office world, like the ability to zoom in from a dentist chair is, yeah. is a it's sign like, of it's true like, dominance. It's like dentist colonoscopy. You know, like <laughs> yeah. what else? Like, well, like what are the most like embarrassing personal situations you could put yourself in, and then Prostate force exam. other people to live through? Yeah, yeah, just incredible. All right, uh, moving on now to the uh, his is the the woman who wrote the introduction to "Don't Let It Happen," uh, Tracy Collins. Well, here, here's the question. Tracy Collins is described as Mayor Adams' longtime girlfriend. But I think the most important question here is to ask, is Eric Adams, does he have a girlfriend? Is he single? Because you mentioned that in an interview on Hot 97 earlier this year, he said he was single, but in a real relationship. So what is going on with, with our mayor's relationship status? I mean, you know, not to say anything about Eric Adams specifically, but uh, I've heard from a few prominent New York uh, publications that polyamory is pretty hot. Right <laughs> so, you know, uh, who, who it's, just yes, it's in the air. Everyone's doing it in New York. Everyone's Everyone doing it in New is, York. Everyone's poly these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eric, uh, Eric Adams is affiliated with, you know, I think a lot of different uh, women at the table are people that Eric Adams is cohabitated with. So that's a, uh, again, you know, not to say. Yeah. I mean, I, it's that hot 97 interview. You can kind of, hear, if you listen to it, you can hear funk flex sort of like the gears in his brain, like, <laughs> like process, like what, about to, what is say, going he's on hovering here? over dropping a bomb. He's hovering over <laughs> dropping a bomb. His hand is um, just on the sample board. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, what? But, but I think, you know, literally the mayor might mean that his marital status is single, but he's in a relationship. But, but as Katie just said, you know, what that means, practically speaking, is that, yes, he's been in a long-term relationship with Tracy Collins, but he's also been linked to 
Um, another member of the table who owns a piece of property in the same building in Fort Lee, New Jersey, as Tracy and, and Eric. There's another person at the table who works for the NYPD currently. Who She's like the to- HR head, and he was her roommate, you know, when he yeah. was borough president. They, so. like, lived together in Brooklyn for a while. So, like, and, you know, the mayor is famously, uh, he, like, you know, he says, New York City is a place of nightlife. I'm out there to test the product. He's he's hanging out late night. Oh yeah, in different out, places, all over the city. Outdoor dining, he's, you see someone he's sexy. He's a social butterfly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like he he is like the stereotypical old guy at the club, and like that's again, this is the <laughs> thing I find endearing about Eric Adams, and again. Indeed, one of the uh, one of the success table members is the owner of a private club, very much beloved by the mayor, called Zero Bond, who was appointed to the Met board. Could you talk a little bit about the owner of Zero Bond, how he got appointed to the Met board, and what is some, what are some of the some of the sterling some of the things on this guy's resume are great? Yeah, I mean, so all right, so Zero Bond is this to me extremely cheesy private club downtown in NoHo. The address is Zero Bond. It's, you know, the membership fees are like in the thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. There's a room that like requires a fingerprint scan to hang out in. So like it's, it's, <laughs> it's extremely exclusive, but also extremely corny, you know? Um, and this guy, Scott Sartiano, who used to run that club One Oak, this is a club he started. The mayor started hanging out here a few years ago. It's unclear, like, who first introduced him to the club. It, it, it might've been this um, sort of Trump world guy, Ron Tarosian, who's this PR person who no longer has a relationship with the mayor. Regardless, the mayor had his like victory party in 2021 there. Um, he's known to sort of just pop in, you know, at all hours of the, of the night. And I think, you know, why is this guy on the Met board? I think because, you know, we don't know for sure, but probably because they were hanging out zero bond one night and he was like, that'd be cool if I was on the Met board. And the mayor was like, sure. Like, I, you know, his resume is great because I mean, it's, it's undeniable his qualifications. <laughs> if you, if you take a look yeah, at it's it, it's a form. It's like, it's not what I would advise uh, people entering the workforce, especially with respect to like, getting on the Met board. It's not how I would write a resume. Um, in it's fact, two pages, five he, he misspells the mayor's name. I think there's like Eric a Adams. He misspells Eric Adams. He, he misspells Eric Adams. There's a whole bracket. Is he spelled like with a K? Like he's a or something? No, it's 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 rough. It's a it's a perfunctory document, and I think that's what was amusing when we filed a, a freedom of information law request that we had to sue the city for to get this stuff. By the way, I mean this is the stuff they don't want the public to see, and it's not even like it's that big of a deal, you know? Just like show us the resume. Um, but, but yeah, like it's, you know, and and if I can say, if you appreciate this sort of reporting, you should subscribe to Hellgate, um, because, you know, reporting and lawsuits and all that stuff costs money. And, and we very much appreciate our subscribers being able to, to sue the mayor for the weird resumes that he has received. Yeah. But, but the zero bond thing is, is cheesy and, and baffling. Yeah, like, because, you know, I, I, this, this isn't much of a scandal to me. Like, I don't really care who gets to sit on the board of the Met or whatever. I mean, it's all just for, it's all make work jobs for rich people. So, like, the fact that, like, the guy who owns a club that the mayor likes can get on there, I think is kind of cool. I mean, that's what I would do if I was mayor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on, probably uh, the best name on this list is a woman called, named Tiffany Raspberry. What, I mean, what is, oh, just, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, where do you where do you even get here? Just the name, her work history. What, what does Tiffany Raspberry do for the Adams administration? She's another sort of Ingrid Light figure. Um, has has a history of of working, you know, alongside the mayor. I think again, like sources told us that she pretty much hears complaints from constituents who tend to be wealthier and more powerful, and she then goes into city agencies and and execute executes those wishes. I also think it's notable that she was a former tobacco lobbyist. She lobbied against legislation that would ban menthol cigarettes. Um, you know, again, just someone with like deep ties to business that is now helping to set city policy in, in ways that like career bureaucrats or like civil servants in various agencies who are literally just trying to like, you know, build a park or fix a road or, you know, do the, the boring yet 
extremely vital work of city government are like, who is this person? Who is Tiffany Raspberry? Why is she telling me to stop doing the thing that I'm doing? And that's right. kind of her bag. Yeah. And I think it's a pattern with a lot of these sort of like Adams appointees and these high up positions, either like directly in city hall or just in various uh, agencies across the city where you'll have people be like, I don't get why this person is my boss. They don't know what's going on. They're actively bad at their job. But like Raspberry, for instance, her mother worked in the same police precinct as Eric Adams. So it's like a it's a way back sort of like family ties situation. And sort of to go back to Scott Sartiano, it's uh, you see a lot of jobs that people clearly applied for knowing they already had them. And so I think you see a quality of work and a quality of application uh, that you do if it's like, oh, yeah, it's my friends. It's it's my mom's friend's dad. Like, you know, right. it's, it's my mom's friend who's going to give me this job or it's, uh, oh, you know, I, I've known this guy since since like forever. We used to party together and like now uh, now making uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars from the city. Uh, the next thing I want to get to is obviously Mayor Adams was a huge booster of crypto early in his administration. And I remember he, he said he was going to take his first paycheck in crypto right as it crashed and like cost himself about 14 grand in his office first paycheck but like we're seeing reports in of like his legal defense fund is being flooded with cash right now from a lot of very dubious crypto influenced and very very shady individuals regarding the but like how how is the adams administration like metabolized the complete collapse of crypto and and and, and conversely how have they moved on to legalize gambling which is really just you know, another name for what crypto was to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, one of Adams's strengths is that because he just throws so much at you, something like I'm taking my first two paychecks in crypto is like a crazy story. But like, if he doesn't get mentioned over a period of months or years, it's sort of just like, whatever. So like, you know, he's, <laughs> there's like 30 other things going on in his, in his life right now that he can sort of react to or whatever. And like, that's like, whatever, you know what I mean? In terms of like the casino thing, you know, it's interesting that like Adams is sort of, uh, when Adams was in the state Senate back in 2010, you know, New York was, a, was trying to legalize more gambling. I don't know if you've ever been to the Racino out in Queens, the aqueduct Racino. Sure. Um, deeply sad, I mean, I'm someone who enjoys casinos and this is like extremely, (laughs) it's bleak. It's bleak as hell. There's people like yelling at each other and no, it's a mess. And, you know, as the, the contract for that racino was being sort of bidded for Adams had like a crucial role in that, uh, in like choosing who would eventually develop that casino. There was this huge report that came out from the state inspector general that criticized Adams said that he was using like extremely poor judgment because he took donations from the casino developer that ended up winning that bid. He went to a victory party that they threw. That whole bid ended up collapsing under all the corruption that was being alleged. A different casino operator got the license, which now, which opened the casino that exists today. But it's worth noting that like, this was one of like the bigger scandals that Adams weathered earlier on in his political career. Fast forward to 2024, and it's it's kind of deja vu. You have all these real estate companies vying for a casino license in New York City. You have Eric Adams being one of the crucial decision makers as to like where, who is going to get a license, where the casino is going to go, and it's like, there's so much money sloshing around. Like the, the idea that we would build a casino in New York City, like outside the, I mean, because I remember growing up, there was like off track betting and there was sort of like, you know, state sponsored gambling parlors for, for horse racing and like the New York Racing Authority. But like, you know, I've seen recent plans for like a proposed casino next to the United Nations building. What, like, where is it? Like, why does New York City need legalized gambling? Isn't this something that like greatly dis- economically distressed municipalities have to turn to to gin up a tax base? Like, why does New York City need legalized gambling? Because the governor has decided that because, well, because I, you know, this is this was decided years ago by Andrew Cuomo and the legislature. But because the governor has specifically said, like, this is how we're going to fund a huge part of transportation. Now we're going to we're going to open some casinos. And to your point, like every new casino that opens up in New York just hurts the other casinos around it. So you're just robbing the other casinos of revenue, moving that money around. 
Um, and yeah, and you're immiserating a part of the population just by having a casino there. Like they are the only person who comes out ahead at a casino is the house. Like it's the biggest cliche in the world. So like, yes, why, why is New York doing this and not coming up with like a way to tax its many billionaires? Great question, but whatever Times Square casino, baby. Jay-Z or like Ferris wheel next to my casino. (laughs) Yeah. Mets casino, like 2024. Let's, let's do this. You know, it's like, it's the monorail discussion. Yeah. uh, Like a, yeah. Like a a residency for Mr. Met uh, performing every night. But uh, no, you, you mentioned Jay-Z and now we get to like someone, someone at the table of success that like other people have heard of. Cause like he's, he's probably the biggest name. (laughs) What, like, how does Jay-Z fit into the, the mayor's plans and specifically legalized gambling? Well, I think one thing we know about, you know, not even to speak to the gambling part, but one thing we know about Eric Adams is that guy loves famous people. Um, oh, yeah. So the chance to rub elbows, you know, with someone like Jay-Z, with KRS-One, with P. Diddy, uh, with Robert De Niro, you know, any, any, anybody like that, I think is always going to be, you know, catnip to a guy who uh, thinks of himself as extremely cool. And who finds it very important that everyone else thinks that he's very cool. I mean, if there's if there's one figure more emblematic of everything shitty about New York City over the last 15 years, it's Jay-Z's post-Black album comeback. Because, I mean, like, a, a guy who's gone from, went from being the king of New York to, like, the Prince Charles of New York uh, just by, like, continuing to make music or, or, and hang out with people like Eric Adams and Obama. Yeah, I mean, Eric Adams, who uses Jay-Z's Empire State of Mind literally every single press conference at the walk-up. That's the worst crime he's ever done. I love that, though, because, like, most of what the mayor does is, like, you know, make announcements where they're like, we're giving out the award for the guy who, like, killed the most rats out of the MTA, like, uh, rat-killing tournament. But before he goes out, he has someone like play that song on uh, on like a, a JBL pillbox. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. You know, that's someone's job. They get health insurance for clicking play on that on that, you know, little clip every time he comes out. And Jay-Z created a crypto academy um, oh. like for the Marcy houses oh. over the past few oh, years. Oh, God. Um, but no, he's involved with the Times Square casino bid that is being pushed by the big real estate company, SL Green. Uh, Rock Nation is like partnering with them to build a casino in Times Square. And, you know, again, this is like if you're Eric Adams, you're looking around the city and you're like, which of these casinos should I like endorse? Times Square oh. Casino with Jay-Z looks pretty cool. Like you could hang out there and undoubtedly there'll be other famous people around. And I mean, I don't Times know. Times Square Casino with Jay Z or a million dollars. Gotta gotta ask, and also uh, snagged his artistic son uh, an awesome internship. That's well, a, yeah, that's actually, a big one. Uh, I, I did want to talk about the mayor's son, uh, Jordan Coleman, um, who who when when you uh, uh, sought comment from him uh, about why he was recently seen at a San Francisco uh, banquet. Uh, with uh, a top mayoral staffer and a Chinatown businessman. What was what was the mayor's son's response to you uh, based on that inquiry? If I remember, he said that uh, he didn't know that other cities had Chinatowns and he was working <laughs> on a he was working on a movie about Chinatown. So he was like, Chinatown. I, this I got to see. Well, yeah, Katie, exactly. I, got, I got news for Jordan. Someone already made that movie and it's quite well known. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you know, that it's. Like our colleague Adlin uh, conducted this interview and it's like, yeah, he said, I'm working on a narrative film about the history of Chinatown and its relationship with New York City. After doing research, I realized there were multiple Chinatowns. Throughout the <laughs> so he went to San Francisco, probably the most famous Chinatown uh, in America. And he's just like, what? Can you believe this? What? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, OK, like it's almost kind of endearing that answer. Yes. Well, I remember Jordan becoming a part of the election because like it was became the question of was he living at his son's house or was his son's house in Brooklyn actually his house? And like there were a lot of indications that it was indeed his son's apartment. Yeah, like like Eric like Adams the shoes. Like, <laughs> right, right. It's like, <laughs> yes, of course I sleep in this bed next to a bunch of <laughs> sneakers that 20-year-olds wear. Of course. Yeah. And like the salmon in the fridge, this food in the fridge is is definitely mine. 
famous vegan, um, Eric Adams. Right. It's, it's weird. He's, he was also, Jordan was also in this like Albanian, (laughs) I think it was, yeah, it was in this Albanian like version of American Idol rapping. It's, it's a deeply strange, entertaining video. I recommend everyone check it out. But, but again, it's just like, he's kind of like his dad in that he's all over the place and has many interests. But all, but he also doesn't have a great relationship with his dad. And he said this in, in various interviews. So, yeah, fascinating, fascinating person, Jordan Coleman. Right. I think he said uh, that uh, Eric Adams was more of his, he thought of him as more of his, like, metaphorical father growing up, which Jeez, is wow. poignant stuff. <laughs> yeah. I had more of an allegory than a dad growing up. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, and, and Katie, you mentioned that uh, he did get an internship with Jay-Z. Oh, yeah. I mean, he got an internship with Jay-Z. He worked at... Um, okay, well, if the... you, that, that's a dad. If he gets you an internship with Jay-Z, <laughs> I don't think that's a metaphor anymore. That's true. I just want to correct the record. He was not an intern. He was oh. an intern at the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He was a creative coordinator for Rock Nation. So he was on the payroll, a legit job. Um for Rock Nation. He was also the voice of Tyrone the Moose in the Backyardigans, which is a reference that I don't understand because I'm pushing 40. But like for, I guess, people of a certain age, that means something. Um, again, just an incredible resume. The next person, uh, the, the last guy I want to get to at the table of success is currently the deputy mayor for public safety, a man named Philip Banks III, who is also an unindicted co-conspirator in a federal corruption case that used photos of a junket trip to Israel as evidence in this case. And now, like, one of the other, like, again, all relating back to this messianic vision of Eric Adams, he's got ties to Turkey, but, like, obviously, like, any mayor of New York City is going to be a big Israel supporter. But the things Eric Adams has said about how he identifies with Israel and, for instance, wants to move to the Golan Heights when he retires, what can we say about <laughs> Philip, Philip Banks III's trip to Israel and the, the, the federal indictment he's under for it, and as well as Eric Adams' uh, sort of, I don't know, a religious affinity for the state of Israel? I mean, you can just look at the photos, and all you can say about this trip is uh, best trip ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was having a great fucking time. Like, yeah. Multiple stogies. Yes. Yeah. Sit um, in a plane, shoot guns go in the dead sea like yeah there's a kim and dream on green they're having a lot of fun yeah floating (laughs) shooting sniper rifles no i mean you know philip banks ended up there because these two businessmen um who were like using him to curry favor within the department had taken him on this trip they were also flying other cops around on planes with sex workers on them um they were you know they were convicted at their trials Philip Banks was never named as a, you know, as a, an official defendant. He was never charged with anything. He also said he would plead the fifth, you know, if he were called to testify. So he was an unindicted co-conspirator here. Um, you know, this is someone who has, you know, goes back with Eric Adams a long time. He's in charge of the fire department, police department, and the correction department. Like that is his portfolio at City Hall. Extremely like- powerful. And there's and, a, there's a long history of these kind of like fun junkets you might call them these these all expenses paid trips to Israel that like uh, further enmeshes the Israeli security state and the and the American one and like yeah. they, and, they pull out all the stops for like U.S. law enforcement uh, b- bodies and the individuals who comprise them. Yeah, I, I don't know if the NYPD still has a bureau in in like Tel Aviv, but it they does. did. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's. And it, honestly, it's like Governor Hochul is does has gone taken similar trips. Eric she Adams took a trip to Israel, Israel when her dad was dying in the hospital right. the other month. Like she That's she right. she visited Tel Aviv uh, to. She literally let her dad die alone so she could visit Tel Aviv post October seventh. That's I mean, our governor of New York. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like you know, for Eric Adams, it's it's very much like political. For Phil Banks, this is just pure fun, baby. Like look at these photos. Like there's no other way to describe it so like i I was like that that's just but but a fraction of a glimpse inside like the the universe of eric adams but as as we wrap it up here i I just want to like get your guys take on like okay adams is up for re-election uh in 2025 correct next year 
what is the state of like any possible primary challenge to him or his like or his reelection? Is there? I mean, like you think this would be a layup for like because uh, you know, he's like not very popular. He he is a bit of a bozo, but like it, it is you know a testament to how fucked up New York City politics are that I have not heard a single thing about any primary challenge to Eric Adams. So like, wh- how, how does he stand in terms of a primary challenge and his reelection next year? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something uh, we've been discussing, especially in terms of, yeah, just kind of seeing uh, what feels like people who should be naturally primed to make this challenge to Adams just like totally asleep at the wheel. Like if this is this is the time that, you know, you should be sort of kicking this guy while he's down. He's crazy unpopular. You know, I think in the history of all the polling they've ever done about, uh, you know, who likes the mayor, he is, uh, you know, at at the bottom all time. and yet these, you know, these figures who've been ostensibly in, um, you know, the the forefront of at least like recent New York City politics, like a Jumani Williams or something like that, you're not, you know, instead they're treating, uh, they're treating the mayor like, uh, like when your dog is dying and you let it have a hamburger, you know, everyone is being, <laughs> <laughs> they're being really nice to him. And so yeah. I, that's, that's definitely, you know, something that we're, uh, we're wondering as well. Yeah, like, you know, this is, I will say the investigation, as long as it goes on, will make it easier for people to challenge him. But, you know, incumbents enjoy a, a you know, they're on the throne. It's hard to knock them off. And I think all the usual challengers, as Katie pointed out, they're very much like waiting to see how this pans out. Like an Eric Adams who beats the charges or has no real charges to sort of answer to emerges a much stronger, more strident, defiant Eric Adams, whereas an Eric Adams who is indicted and spends, you know, a lot of his time answering questions and having the energy sapped out of him and business leaders and real estate leaders looking at him and be like, eh, do we do we really want to stick with this this person? You know, I think that is a weakened Eric Adams and that is one that you'll see people sort of want to challenge. But right now everyone's sort of just like Let's see how this investigation pans out and we can dip our toes in afterwards or not. I don't know. Uh, Felix, do you have any, uh, anything you want to, any final thoughts or any questions? I don't know. Do we have, uh, do we have any more Turkey related things to look forward to with Eric? I mean, I, you know, for, for New Yorkers who enjoy this content, I hope so. But I mean, yeah, probably like there's no, you know, again, we've just scratched the surface of like, no one really knows where this investigation is going. If the turkey straw donor thing and the building, like the, the asking um, for favors of the buildings department to like inspect buildings or whatever, if that's the if that's it, then Eric Adams will prevail and he will win re-election. But if the prosecutor has more than that, which again the actions of seizing his phones and devices seem to suggest that he does, then there's probably a good chance that we will be hearing more from um, the mayor's Turkish donors and people in the, in the campaign finance realm. And I guess that's the other thing about the table, you know, dare I say it's a quote unquote living document. Like these are, <laughs> that's right. That's right. By no means, you know, this is not everybody who is uh, enjoying their meal at Eric. Just Adams like our U S constitution. It is a living, yeah, breathing yeah, document. Yeah. The table. Of success. I know I'm a table of a success originalist. It is fixed. <laughs> and it's like the tablets handed down to Moses. Uh, Christopher Robbins, Katie way. I want to thank you so much for joining. And I would like to, uh, underscore the plug to subscribe to Hellgate NYC. It is a really great local news source in a time of moribund local news coverage. Hellgate is doing great work. And so please check out Hellgate and the Table of Success. Once again, Christopher Robbins and Katie Way, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you all so much. We love Chapo. Yeah, fun, 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 fun. All right. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Everybody's coming down to meet the MBTS Mets. Of New York Town. Oh, the butcher and the baker and the people on the streets. Where do they go? To meet the Mets! Oh, they're hollering and cheering and they're jumping in their seats. Where do they go? 